I think most uh, of our church would be shocked at the uh, amount of help and ministry, uh, money and networking and all the things that our benevolence ministry does under the leadership of our Grace Deacon Ministry. It, uh, it is, it is uh, remarkable, and uh, you ought to be very encouraged if you knew it all, and I don't even know it all, but the things that I know uh, tell me that our church is uh, not just preaching the gospel, but is also uh, expressing that in material and uh, in physical ways. And so that video was there to highlight this ministry of our church and for you to know that when you give uh, to the benevolent ministry, those are being uh, used in very effective ways. So uh, thank you for, for doing so. I want, to, uh, I want to take just a moment and speak to our Cedar Lake uh, campus, if I could for a moment, and to just say what a blessing it was uh, for me to hear about the, uh, the Easter weekend last weekend there in Cedar Lake, and I know that uh, uh, Tony did a great job on the sermon and that you guys packed the place out, and what a joy that was for, for us to hear. And so um, a greeting and a welcome to our dear brothers and sisters there in Cedar Lake. Our text today is 1 John 2, and the broader text is verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And as you turn there, I, I, I want you to know that I have looked forward to speaking on this text. As we began 1 John, there's a few of them that stand out, and you're like, oh, that's going to be that's gonna be great, and I can't wait for that one. And the one that we have before us is definitely one of the highlights of the entire, of the entire letter. Uh, at the same time, I think it is my suspicion that what it speaks to is one of the largest blind spots in the church. In fact, I'll personalize it. I think in my understanding of God and salvation and the Bible and the terms of my relationship with God, what we're talking about uh, here is, I think, my biggest blind spot. And I think something that when, when I get to heaven, the dawning reality of what this is saying might be the biggest thing that I missed in my time on earth. And I suspect that I'm not the only one. Now, I understand we have wonderfully, fully, uh, fully orbed understandings of the Bible here. And there, you probably, this is maybe this, I'm unique in that. But I think that maybe uh, there's one or two of you that this might be the case. And so that's one reason that I am excited to speak about this is that it, it generates in my own heart a sense of gladness and wonder in it. And I want, I want very much for... What the, the enrichment that this truth can provide in your life to do that. In fact, I really hope that as we lay this out, what God says to us, that it will make becoming a Christian even more desirable. And that some of you may decide, you know what, how can I say no? How can I do anything but believe? That would be a really, really great thing. Now, let me ask you, what would you say is the most wonderful part about being a Christian? What is the most wonderful thing about being a Christian? I think that your answer to that may depend somewhat on where you were discipled. 
And there are certain branches of Christianity, they have their own sort of thing, that they, this is our thing, and this is the wonderful thing, and not that they don't appreciate the other things, but this is the thing that we, we are really great. So that uh, if, if, uh, if you're from the background, like a Lutheran, conservative Lutheran background, or uh, from, the, from the kind of a Reformation perspective, you would say justification is the greatest thing. Declared righteous before God. Love it. Okay. If you're from a more charismatic background, you might say the experience of the Spirit. It's great. Love it. It's wonderful. If you're an old school Methodist or maybe uh, an old school Baptist, you would say it's the gospel and evangelism. It's wonderful. Love it. Now, people visit our church and the, the questions that they will ask at some of our you know, gatherings for new people oftentimes flow out of what they have, you know, their background, their experience, the thing that they're most passionate about, uh, so that we'll oftentimes get questions that reveal what is to them the most important thing. So I'll get questions, what is your position on eschatology? What is your position on uh, eternal security? What is your position on the inspiration of God's word? What is your position on church government, etc., 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 and on and on it goes. And what those First questions are, are revealing what in the heart is the most wonderful, the most important, the biggest priority uh, thing. Yet, I don't know that I've ever, ever, ever been asked about what we're talking about. Not one time. And yet one of our favorite theologians, J.I. Packer, says that what we're talking about is the most wonderful, central promise and truth in the Christian experience, and you can't understand Christianity without it. Wow, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? And yet it's the thing that I, never, I don't hear people talking about, and they're certainly not asking me about, and sadly in my own life, I think I don't think about as much as I ought to. Now you're like, would you just tell us what we're talking about, please? <laughs> We're getting tired of the buildup of this. All right. Well, our subject from God's Word in our series in 1 John, here's the title of my message. Astonished children of our adopting God. Astonished children of our adopting God. Let me read the text. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now this text is going to be our text for two, uh, two messages and there are, there are two themes that, that interweave in this, in this passage. And they broadly could be uh, described by uh, who we are and who we'll be. Okay? Who we are and who we'll be. 
And so what I want to do is I want to untangle those threads and to hold them up individually and just to admire both of them. And so this weekend we're going to do one and, and uh, in the future we'll do, we'll do the other. Now John is carrying his theme from uh, beginning in verse 18 down still through this passage. And that theme is abide in him. And remember, there had been in this church a split. Some false teachers had arisen, had drawn people with them down uh, a doctrinal road, a different doctrinal address uh, that, that John calls the spirit of Antichrist because they denied that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, we, we talked about this two weeks ago, that, uh, that, that God's people were called to stay at the same address, to abide and to, uh, to, not, to not move uh, down the street or across uh, town, but to stay on the one doctrinal, biblical, gospel, truth, the only one that saves. Abide in him. Continue to abide, abide in him. And, uh, and, and so John now, here in chapter 3, begins uh, with a verse that many of us know, and uh, perhaps you know it from a song that people used to sing back in the 80s, uh, possibly some of you are like the 80s, what was that? I don't even know, you know, this would have been the 1980s, not the 1880s, in case some of you were wondering. Um, and so uh, churches, back before there were all these praise songs, there was only about four songs and everyone sung them over and over again and this verse was one of them. And so maybe you know it from that or, or maybe you just know it from... Uh, from your reading, but it is a it is a extremely well known verse for a for a reason. Now here's how the King James translates it: Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called sons of God. Here's how the NIV gets at it: How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. Now these, and the ESV, which we uh, preach from around here, they're all trying to communicate something that is clear in the Greek, and the English is trying to get to it, and that is basically that John gets to this point, the Apostle John gets to this point, and he begins to just rejoice. It's, it's a rejoicing verse. It's a, it's a glad verse. The apostle gets here and he, behold, see, look, what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. There, I gave it a little emphasis. So that you get the sense of it. Indeed. It, it's, it, it's a, it's the, the tone here is astonishment. Okay? Astonishment. There's an exclamation point that ought to be in there. It's, it's wonder. John's basically saying, wow, the love the Father has lavished on us. Wow. Okay? Is that, are you getting that sense? All right? I'm trying to communicate God, my role is to preach God's word. And that's what it's saying. Okay? It's, it's a joyous exclamation point that John gives. Now, I want you to understand that emotion and to understand why he's saying it and what his focus is. Notice it is the kind of love the Father has given to us. Now, ESV, given, other translations, still trying to get at the sense of this, lavished, bestowed. The word there has an interesting nuance to it that 
John Stott highlights. Uh, it, it means it's a gift from, an, uh, from a foreign land. Or a, a foreign gift is, is the sense of it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, his whole career was John Deere. He was an engineer for John Deere, 40 years. And John Deere does business in Europe. And so my dad would periodically... Uh, go on a, on a business trip over to Europe. And we as kids, we always loved it when he did it, not because he was gone, but because of what we got when he returned. Because he would always buy little, you know, gifts for us. And these gifts were the kinds of things that you didn't normally see uh, in stores here or in, you know, it was out of our experience. So dad would come home with some, you know, some genuine Bavarian German chocolate bars or uh, a, a miniature double-decker red bus from London or something like that, you know? And we're like, oh, you know, I don't, this isn't something that we see very often. It's so, now if we knew how to say it, we were oh, so European. But as a kid, you're like, cool, you know, that's all that you get. But it, it's, they were gifts from somewhere else. They were gifts that were, are unusual here because they're from somewhere else. That's the sense of the word there. What kind of love has the Father given to us? It is, a, it is a love that is not normally seen around here. It is a foreign kind of love. A love that is so unusual as to elicit from John praise and exclamation. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished. And John has amazement that God would give this kind of love to us. It's so out of the ordinary. It's so foreign. What kind of love, we should ask then, is John getting at that he is so astonished by? And that is the rest of the verse. That we should be called sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Astonishing love. Foreign, not normal love. That we should be called sons of God. So he's explaining this, the, the source of his astonishment by the, the kind of love that God gives us which produces a declaration that we are sons of God. Is that fair to the text? Does that sound like what he's trying to get at there? Okay. I think, I think that it is. Now, how does God give us this love? He calls us his children. Now, here's where I want everybody to connect with me right now. This is what God does. He adopts us. He adopts us as his own children. Okay? And John now begins to write this, knowing he's going to get to the fact that God has adopted us, and he just is like, wow! What kind of love? Where do you find this kind of love? That, a, that God would adopt us as his own. Adoption. Now, many of us are familiar with adoption, uh, human adoption in, in our own culture. In fact, even in our own church, there are, 
We have many, many families that, are, that have adopted or are in the process of adopting. We have many other families that are involved in uh, ministries like Safe Children and Foster Care and other ministries to children in Lake County. And it's been such a blessing to see uh, our church is really beginning to move in that direction. And there's um, new ministries that are popping up helping families who want to be a part of that. And that's all great and that's all exciting. We've got a lot of that going on. Some of you might be following uh, pastor, former pastor here, Chris Carr, and his wife, Eva. And they uh, recently adopted uh, two children from China. And God's, there's a story there and, and things that God is doing there. And lots of people praying about that, excited about that. Maybe you've had this uh, in your own family. And in, in fact, in my own family, I have family members who have, um, have been totally blessed in, uh, in adoption and to see those family members loving those children in, with every bit of the love that uh, parents have for children. It's going on there. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we are, we're clearly, this, our church is clearly a pro-adoption, pro-children uh, kind of congregation. And so when you talk about adoption, I would think that uh, this, is like, this is like meat to the wolves here. Uh, because we're like, oh, adoption! It's wonderful to see the way that, that children are welcomed into families and are loved. And indeed, it is. The power in human adoption and what we see there that's, that moves us, doesn't it? It moves us. The power of that is that it is a reflection of God's amazing adopting love of us. Okay? So God is not a reflection of human adoption. Human adoption is a reflection of God's adoption. And because that is so amazing, so is it here. Okay? Now, God's adopted us as children, his own children. And what I said earlier is that I don't sense that there is on the radar of most Christians the wonder that that's the case. That to be a Christian is to be a son or daughter of the Most High God. Listen to our prayers. Listen to our, what we talk about. Listen to the questions that we ask. Hardly ever do we hear about this. And yet, it is a very, very precious, by J.I. Packer's word, the most precious. And I think there's many reasons for that. And part of it is that, you know, there are these words that we find in the Bible that are, that describe salvation. And we kind of roll through them, don't we, sort of quickly? And they're big words, and so uh, it's easy for some of these really wonderful things to sort of get jumbled in with all the other ones. Like we throw out uh, justification, or regeneration, or, and we, then we throw in adoption in the midst of all that, and, and it just sort of gets lost in the jumble. Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're declared righteous, and we're made alive again, and, and on top of that we're adopted, oh yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. No. These are not the same. They are all wonderful. They are all acts of God, his grace to us, but they are not the same. And to realize that they are not the same allows us to admire and wonder in each of them in their own right. 
So just to make sure that we kind of sort this out a second. And you don't leave here going, oh yeah, adoption is like justification, regeneration, la, 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 la. No, not at Bethel Church. We are not jumbling these things together at Bethel Church. We are treasuring them. Okay. So, what is justification? Justification is that act of God whereby he changes our legal status as it relates to our standing to the law of God. By the law of God, we are sinners. But through justification, by faith, God declares us righteous. And that means in the eyes and the standing of God, we are as holy as Jesus is. Now that's a good one, isn't it? And Martin Luther would have said, this is the most important one. Indeed he did. Justification. Regeneration. Regeneration is what Jesus was talking about in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I go back in my mother's womb and do it again? I don't think so. And Jesus goes, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? What was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that we are born in sin. We are born dead. And for us to have a relationship with a spiritual God, we had to be made spiritually alive again, which Jesus calls, it's like being born again, okay? Which is a change in our spiritual nature. We were dead, and now by faith in the miracle of, of, of new birth, we are given new life. We are spiritually alive. We were dead, then we're alive. Is that a truth worthy of praising God for? I would say so, at least to those that are alive. Indeed, it is. Dead people don't get too excited about it, but they don't get too excited about really much of anything. That almost would be a really good sermon, isn't it? Dead people don't get excited about anything. But alive people who are spiritually alive, that's another story, isn't it? Indeed. All right, so... Adoption. What is adoption then? Adoption is also a change for us. It is a change of relational status from an enemy of God to a son of God. Now, it's a huge, you want to talk about, it, it's a, it, there, there is an ocean between being under the wrath of God to being uh, forgiven, which is justification. And there is an ocean between being spiritually dead and being spiritually alive, and that's regeneration. But you want to talk about a massive ocean to go from being an enemy combatant of God to not simply being forgiven and made alive, which itself is wonderful, but to be named as a son or daughter in the family of the one most high almighty God. That is a massive change. Okay? Massive change. Friends, I, I want you to realize what makes adoption so wonderful. Do you realize that God could have saved us by doing everything that he did, minus adoption. He could have sent Jesus into this world. 
He could have, uh, he could have had Jesus die uh, an atoning death in our, in our place. He could have put in the gospel the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, and he could have forgiven us of our sins through justification, and he could have said, you know what, I'm not mad at you anymore. Uh, he could have done all of those things, all of them. And we would have had so much to be thankful for and to be amazed at. And John Newton still would have written, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. He still would, he would have written that if all that God did in salvation, I say all, this is massive, but if, if he had merely done what he did in order to bring us to a point where we are no longer under his wrath, and maybe even given the gift of eternal life, just that much, if he would have stopped there, we would have had every reason to fall down in our face and to worship him and to eternally praise him and to marvel at his grace and to, to wonder at uh, why he would do this for sinners like us. And I mean, we could have still sung a lot of the songs that we sing and we could, have, could still do a lot of the things that we do if he, would have, if he would have gone to that point. And I suppose if he would have done that, we probably would have been something similar to the angels in heaven who also are not under the wrath of God, who have the privilege of serving God, who uh, praise God, who um, have you know, a certain level of honor and distinction in heaven and eternity. And we probably could have been, you know, he could have brought us to the point where we are like the angels. And that would have been really, really great, wouldn't it? I mean, I... I wouldn't mind being an angel for a day or so, and that sounds, uh, that sounds, there'd be a lot to praise God for if he merely did that, if it stopped, if it stopped there. What John is getting at here is not that God justified us, or that he made us alive, or that he sent Jesus, or that there is a gospel although all those things are worthy of praising God for sure. What John is astonished at is that God's love did not stop at making us relationally neutral, but that God's love went beyond that and further beyond that. In fact, insanely, that's not the right word, crazy beyond that, Crazy is the oft-used adjective these days. Everything's crazy, right? He went crazy beyond that into a love that is, I think, beyond comprehension. Okay. So uh, once again, if he had stopped there, where would we be? We would have a changed nature, we would be forgiven our sins, we would probably have eternal life, we would serve God, we'd live forever, maybe be beautiful like the angels, some of us, maybe all of us. <laughs> all of that is a major upgrade, right? Better an angel in heaven than a sinner in hell, okay? That would be a massive upgrade for us. 
But this is where God's love is so over the top. God does something that our salvation from sin actually did not require him to do. We're saved without adoption. We're in heaven without adoption. We are righteous and holy without adoption. But God, to show a wonder and a, a, an extent of self-giving for the good and joy of another, love, does not stop at putting us at the status of angels in heaven, but goes beyond that into a kind of love that defies understanding whereby in love he looks at sinners like us and says, not only am I forgiving them, I am actually going to bring them into my family. And I am going to give them a place at at my table. And I am going to bestow upon them rights and privileges that come with being a son or daughter of God Almighty. And all of that is love. We are adopted full children of God, which forever changes the way that we relate to God. What do you think of when you think about God and your relationship with him? Is he your judge? Is he the scary God waiting to crush you if you misstep in some way? Or is he your heavenly father? And friends, this is a way that we will relate to, that we currently relate to God and will forever relate to God that the angels know nothing about. They are God's servants. We are God's children. God is their king and is their master. He is all of that to us, but the defining relationship that God wants us as his, as Christians to understand and to our perspective on him is not God, is, is, he's God, yes. And he is king and he is master and he is Lord and we tremble before him. But what God wants us to know is that he is our father. He is our heavenly father. Here's how I can say it. God is dad. God is dad. A breathtaking and awe-producing status change for sinners who don't deserve anything. And yet God has done this with an unspeakable, foreign, can't comprehend it, love. That friend he has. If you are a, chi- if you are a Christian, this is the love that God has for you. Individually. 
You and you and you and you and you. He is your heavenly Father. And He wants you to see Him that way. Listen to John Murray. Justification means our acceptance with God is righteous and the bestowal of the title to everlasting life. Regeneration is the renewing of our hearts after the image of God. But these blessings in themselves, however precious they are, do not indicate what is conferred by the act of adoption. By adoption, the redeemed become sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty. They are introduced into and given the privileges of God's family. Let me give you some other teachings on this in Scripture. Here's John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law. So that, what's the goal of all of this? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 8, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now that last verse there has a special truth in it that I want to talk with you about. God wants us to know that we are his children. In fact, one of the things the Spirit of God, he's called the Spirit of adoption here, because one of the things that he does within us is he helps us understand that we are children of God, sons of God. By the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And notice the word here. It says, by whom we cry, Abba. Now my dad, growing up, my dad would never let us call him Father. If, I, if we ever did that, even jokingly, swift disapproval for that. And, you know, it's interesting, interesting to think about why that would be the case for my dad. My dad's dad died when he was... Uh, four. And so he basically was raised in a single uh, parent home, a single mother home, doesn't hardly remember his dad, had no, you know, had no dad, and I think always looked forward then to being a dad. And so then when we came, ar- came along, he didn't want us to call him father. He, he loved the title, he loved the title dad. Paul says here that we can address God as our Abba. Say it with me. Abba. Now what is that talking about? Well, ancient documents, ancient Greek documents that tell us about the culture back when this was written, tell us that there was, uh, amongst little children, small children would address their fathers as Abba, okay? And you can kind of almost hear the childlikeness there, can't you? Abba. In fact, uh, the Talmud tells us that children would call their fathers Abba and would call their mothers Imma, okay? And I'm sure back then it was the same as, as today. All the mothers, they want their child, to, they, you know, say mommy, say mommy, mommy. 
And inevitably, what's the first thing that comes out of the child's mouth? Daddy. Much to the joy of dad and not to the mom, right? Dada. Mama. Abba. Emma. What do we have in our language that would be the most simple and pure expression of filial relationship? I think it would be dada. And the word in Holy Scripture that by the Spirit we cry out in this new relationship with Almighty God is dada. God is our dada. And that is a marvel beyond comprehension. What kind of love must it be to take rebels and sinners who all our lives have lived in a quiet and sometimes not so quiet rebellion against God and to take that enemy and to say from now on call me Dede. That is an astonishing love, is it not? Amazing. That is adoption. And it is a marvel-producing biblical truth. It's wonderful. Truly wonderful. When we combine it with John 1.12, but as many as received him, in Galatians 4, so that we might receive him, the picture here then is complete. That our adoption has nothing to do with earning it. This is not a performance-based fatherly love. Many people grow up in a performance-based fatherly love, and it typically freaks them out, right? We want a fatherly love that is constant and unconditional. And the reality is that our spiritual adoption by God Almighty like salvation, is simply received. Simply received. It's true in human adoption, isn't it? Especially, you know, the, the small children, infants and such. Do those children do anything to get adopted? Are they trying to pass certain tests or to, you know be cute enough or smart enough or something else in order to be adopted. No, they are not. In fact, they don't even know that they're getting adopted. Nobody forces them to be, uh, and, and I'm sorry, with the parents then, it's also similar, that nobody forces a parent to adopt. They do so willingly. And the child can't require it, can't demand it, but they simply receive it. And in the case of an infant, they have no idea even that it's happening to them. I read a book on adoption by uh, Russell Moore from Southern Seminary, and he tells a story of his own experience in adopting 
two children from Russia. And they went over to the orphanage there, and they met their children. And it's kind of a long story, but in summary, they, they went to the orphanage, and they saw the deplorable conditions that these two children that they're about to bring into their own family are, are living in. And he describes the conditions, and they are, they are terrible. And so they work through the long process, and for those of you that have been through adoptions, you know it is an incredibly long, painful, and grueling process. They went through that whole thing. They take the children out of the orphanage, they get on a plane, and they come here to the United States, and they bring them into their own home. And when they do that, those children have, they have a new home, they have a new identity, they have a new status now that they did not have before. They did not pay for the adoption themselves. What did they do? What did they do to get adopted? They did nothing. This was an act by the parents to bring this child into their home. It was a love gift. It was a love gift. They received it. And friends, what I want you to hear is that our spiritual adoption is much the same. We were in the spiritual orphanage. Actually, it was more like a prison, spiritually, that we were in. We were without any resources. We didn't have any connections. There was no strings to pull. There was no money to pay. There was nothing. We were there and we were stuck. The conditions were deplorable, even though we didn't realize it. It's all that we'd ever known. We were born there. Then one day, the door of the orphanage opened, and a great light came through that door, and someone was there. Someone was there to get us out. Someone seemed to care. And we discerned that this adopting parent, this spiritually adopting parent, was none other than God himself. Who pays the price for that adoption? Who pays the price to set us free? The ransom price of Jesus' death. And that equity frees us from the orphanage. And out we go from that deplorable place. But God doesn't stop by simply getting us out. What does he do? He says, oh, little orphan, so helpless and lost. Not only am I paying the price to set you free, I've decided to bring you into my home. And I am declaring that from this day forward, you shall be a part of my family. Not just a house guest or a guest at the table. From now on, you are my son. And I would like you to see me and speak to me as your father. In fact, call me Dada. I love you. And what must the spiritual orphan orphan think? having rotted in a spiritual orphanage. No love there. Stuck there with all the others. Hopeless. Loveless. Longing for someone to love me. And then God came along and you set me free. And now you're going to bring me and feed me and clothe me and place me in your own home. You're going to wash me and care for me. And on top of all of that, you're going to make me your son and you're going to give me a place at your table forever? Why? Who are you? Who does this? Where does this kind of love come from? And the only answer is a loving 
God. A love that is not found anywhere else but in God. And that leaves us, when properly understood, astonished orphans. Astonished that we are in the house and the family of God Almighty. And not just serving there like the angels. We are sons and daughters of God Almighty. It's beyond comprehension. Why? God, why? And his answer is, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called sons of God. An astonishing love. It really staggers the mind. John was astonished by it. The Apostle John, astonished by it. Are you? Christian, wake up. Wake up, orphan, and realize that you are in a palace. Someday, I'm telling you, someday, when we're in eternity, you're going to come up to me. I hope all of you. And you're going to say to me, you know, this place is amazing, isn't it? I mean, I cannot. This place is beautiful. And somebody said, we get to stay here forever. Man, Jesus. I just can't get enough of him. And all the others that are here. The Father. This is just. You didn't preach it very well, Pastor Steve, because you didn't. (laughs) I had no idea. No idea. But you know the thing of all the things that is that I did not get, I did not even begin to get when I was there on earth. I, it, it just didn't, it didn't dawn on me. We're sons of God. We're sons of God. I, I did not understand that. I did not expect that. And what I'm going to say to you is... I told you so. (laughs) But I will do it in a non-sinful way. (laughs) And we will just dance a jig right there in the moment to think we are sons of God forever. Indeed. Amen. Friend, if you have not received Christ as your Savior, I'm wanting to up the ante on you and to just put that in front of you. The offer of God Almighty to become a part of His family. By faith, trusting in Jesus. That's how we come to know God. It is through His Son, Jesus. It's just sitting there waiting for you to believe. I don't want you to miss it. 
Now, to make it clear, here's what adoption means quickly. First of all, it means that God loves us. 1 John 3, 1. This is where John gushes. What love, what love that we would be called children of God. God relates to us as his children. Jesus talks about this in his Sermon on the Mount. If your earthly father knew how to treat you well, how much more does your heavenly father know? I think it would dramatically help many of us in our spiritual walk if we truly viewed God as our father. Dada. So relational, right? Not cold. You want to breathe a little life into your spiritual life or a little life into the church here? For all of us to realize the relational intimacy God desires from his children. Call me daddy. He loves you. Amazing. Second, God is not our judge. He is our heavenly father. And that, for example, when we pray, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our father who art in heaven. Not our distant God who I can't know and I can only tremble in front of. Right? He doesn't even invoke Yahweh or some other name, which I think are also legitimate. He doesn't say pray to me. He doesn't say pray to the Spirit, although I do think you can pray to the members of the Trinity. The model for prayer is to pray to God the Father. And to acknowledge, when, I, when I say Father, what I'm acknowledging is I'm your child. Right? Third, it means that God disciplines us like every good father. And now you're like, oh, this message was so encouraging up to this point. And, and, and Hebrews talks about this. Every good father disciplines his son. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I, uh, you know, if I was really bad, if I was kind of bad, I would get, you know, uh, disciplined, maybe a, a mom spanking. But if I was really bad, she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. And then you're going to get it. And I remember sitting there and you'd hear the garage door up like that. And it just was like, oh, no. Why? Because discipline was coming. But you know what? Today, am I glad that my dad disciplined me all those years faithfully? You bet I am. What kind of scoundrel I would have been if I didn't have a loving father disciplining me. And God's the same. So if you're experiencing some discipline from God and you're like, I don't like it. Someday you'll like it. Okay? Someday you'll like it. So just receive it. Say, God, I embrace what you're teaching me in this. Conform me to whatever you want. I don't rebel. I'm yours. And move on. It means that we are entitled to an inheritance as sons of God. And that's going to be another thing. You're going to come up to me and go, I had no idea. No idea whatsoever what it means. And finally, it means that we are all in the family of God together. We are a family. If God is your father, then you are my sister and my brother. And the Bible goes to great lengths to say that that relationship matters. And that's why when I realize that I'm not just sort of attending a church with random people that I can't wait to beat out of the parking lot. But rather, I am here with people that I will spend eternity with who are themselves objects of the love of God. And there isn't a one of them that is beneath my expression of love. Now that changes the way that we care for one another, doesn't it? 
And it creates then that horizontal love, which John is going to say also is an indication that we know God. We are in the family of God together. Every brother and sister is someone God loves. Shouldn't, shouldn't I as well? Astonished children of an adopting God. So may all God's children be astonished and may the remaining orphans receive the offer by faith and join the family. And I would add, join the party as we celebrate the manner of love that God has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. Astonished. And so we are. The verse ends. Indeed. Amen.